Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, music interviews for serious listeners. You may have heard of our curated music discovery app. The podcast lets us dig deeper and get to know the creators of that music, as well as others that will broaden your horizons. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. I am a coal miner's daughter Proud as the mountain top hands Living in a body that has never been brought low back In or in the mouth of a man I come from a long Songwriter Tiffany Williams with us this show. She's an award-winning fiction writer and a self-described lexophile who's taught high school English and studied Appalachian speech and sociolinguistics in graduate school, not to mention working as a dialect coach on the set of The Evening Hour, which debuted at Sundance in 2020. She's also the daughter, granddaughter, and great-granddaughter of Eastern Kentucky coal miners. Her new album is All Those Days of Drinking Dust. Thanks very much for being here. Thank you all so much for having me. So uh, I love that you're a lexophile, and I want to know how you became a lover of words. Who or what put you on that path? Well, thank you. I, I also love being a lexophile, and I don't know. I've always, you know, that's kind of been my, you know, the the default setting for me has been, you know, a lover of languages and words, and I've just always been very keen on um the nuances too. Um, when, when I was in college, I wasn't studying linguistics yet, but I was, um, I was home a lot because college was pretty close. And so I would, um, I would write down the things that my parents would say that I thought could not possibly be standard, you know, just because I thought, and I don't know what I thought I was going to do with it. I was just like, oh, we're going to capture that, which I was writing fiction at the time too. So maybe, maybe that's what I had in mind, but I know I just wanted to capture it. And so, um, when I ended up going to get my master's degree in teaching, there was a professor there, Stephen Gross. He passed away actually while I was in one of his classes, not in the classroom, but like, you know, what, mm. during the course of the semester. So um, I always like to honor him because he was so good to me. He would, after class, entertain any question I had. And he really like made me feel like Appalachian dialect is a, which is the dialect I speak, you know, I'm from Southeastern Kentucky. So he made me feel like the dialect was valid. And that's where I just learned so much about language foundationally and it kind of took me from there. So I don't know. I mean, that feels like an early moment, but I think honestly, like we're kind of, I don't know, we're born with our abilities and proclivities and, you know, so I think those were mine and I'm really glad because I love them. Were you aware uh, before going to college that there was something specific about the the vernacular that your that your parents spoke and the people in your community spoke? Um, to a degree. And I think really it kind of came from a corrective stance. That that was the, you know, right and wrong sort of thing. Um, even the teachers from the area would try to correct your dialect out of you, which is kind of mm. wild. But um Teachers but yeah, who had just, that dialect? Yeah, like some from the area, but they, I guess they went off to school and 
and they learned that they were not talking right. And, um, but yeah, I remember my, the way it was, and that's why Stephen Gross and ETSU and those linguistics courses were so important to me because they were like, your dialect is uh, systematic and, you know, and it comes from the, this linguistic heritage, you know, like a lot of, a lot of Ulster Scots and, um, you know, Southwest England and all that, you can actually trace one for one, some of the, some of the things that we do. But um, yeah, when I was little, I don't, I don't know if it was told to me directly or if I just kind of gathered it, but it was basically you speak wrong because your parents spoke wrong and they taught you wrong and and nobody knew any better. So now we're going to teach you the right way to speak and write. And actually I've reflected on it some, I think the reason that I was so into writing so early was that I had control over it and I could do it right, you know, because with the way that I talk, I mean, I could, I could get rid of my markers if I wanted to, I can tell you what they are like my, I for my ungliding or my pin pin merger, <laughs> you know, like wow. I know, I know the features <laughs> and I know that, you know, it, I know what those are, but it's so much, I guess, harder to quote, correct your spoken language than it is your written language because the written is secondary. And so, um, so I could get good at writing, even if I sounded like a hillbilly, you know, I think that's what my little mind thought. And, mm. uh, and so I've since, you know, learned that that was, I mean, it's terrible that you have to feel that way, but I think that's why I took to writing so early because I could, I could get it right and, and be, be smart, you know, <laughs> sound smart. When you were getting into writing, were you aware that there were, um, writers who had a, uh, a Southern American voice like Faulkner and Eudora Welty? And that was a specific thing to be celebrated. In yeah. I think it took me a long time. It was, it might've been those early years of grad school before. I mean, I knew there were Southern, you know, in college I was an English major. And so I kind of knew generally about the, the, the Southern canon and all that. But I think to, for it to really hit home for me was when I was in grad school and I read Silas House's Clay Quilt, Clay's Quilt. And, um, cause they talked like me, you know, because there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's Southern and then there's Appalachian and there's a lot of crossover, but but yeah, he, he sounded like my people in that book and it legitimized it for me some. And it was kind of this whole perfect storm of like, you know, I was also was taking those linguistics courses. So I was maybe hyper aware of it. But yeah, I knew, I knew of the Southern tradition, but um, yeah, I think it was it was kind of a little later when it hit me like that the way that I talk is also somewhere in that larger canon. Mm hmm. And this is Silas House with, with with whom you sing a duet on this this album. Yeah. That's yeah, exciting. Yeah. I had a full circle moment the other day at his book release in Lexington. He had me get up and sing a couple of songs. One was mine and one was uh, Caroline Herring put a Yeats poem to to music. And so I sang that one as the song of the wandering Angus. Mm. But um, so I was sitting there and because we would pop up and sing and pop back down and um so I was sitting there and all the spines were right in front of me. So it was like Silas House, you know, five or six times in rows. And I remembered back when I would read his books and I was just a fan. I didn't know, I, I, I revered him, but I didn't really know him. And so it's, it was kind of a nice realization to be like, look, look where, look what has happened. Isn't that very cool? You know, it was just a moment of gratitude, I guess. I'm no good
talking about in, in grad school when you're thinking about these, uh, I guess, linguistic um, features and issues, you mentioned that you were already writing. How, how young were you when you started writing fiction seriously? Seriously, it was it was in that same time period. I had actually okay. just gotten out of an engagement too, so I think that catapulted me toward myself <laughs> in the best way. But um, I had my little efficiency apartment in Johnson City, and that is honestly when I started in earnest, not only writing but like fiction writing because I would write academically all the time. And mm-hmm. um, but to to really like have my own voice and tell my own stories that started, I guess, in t- somewhere between 2006 and 2008. And um, I would try when I was younger to do creative writing, but I've, I've always been so critical, so self-critical. And also just, um, I don't know, I just, I wanted to judge, I wanted to write a sentence and immediately judge it. And you can't do that because of course mm-hmm. it's going to, you know, it's the taste talent gap that Ira Glass talks about, you know, you know, what's good and you know what you're making in the beginning is not <laughs> it. And so it really like messes with you and you think, man, this is, what am I, but you have to get out of your own way and turn the critic off. And this was songwriting too. If you want to get any better, you're going to have to write some, some not great stuff for a little while before you get to the good stuff and the bad stuff will keep coming here and there. But, um, but yeah, I think you have to allow yourself time to grow and learn. And I was not ready to do that when I was younger. I just wanted to criticize. You talk about this album being a lot about getting out of your own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It was, um, it was that with just the writing, just thinking that my writing wasn't any good across the board and, you know, fiction or songwriting or whatever. And, um, and it was also singing too. Like I never set out to do what I'm doing at all. I thought I was going to be a professor of linguistics and then I was an English teacher and I I really wasn't set on, on doing music at all. Um, so yeah, I did. If you told me, you know, 10, 20 years later, you're going to be in Nashville and you're going to be writing songs and singing them and making records. There's no way <laughs> I would have believed you. But, um, but yeah, it took me a long time and to, to just, again, not criticize myself and just let my voice, you know, be what it is and, and sing my songs and, and, and not be the, the constant critic who's always there because you can't function that way and you can't, you can't make, true art that way. There's a time for criticism, of course, from you or from others or or whoever, but when you're kind of, you know, you're, you're sharing it on stage or you're sharing it on the record, um, that's not the time to, to, for that, for that sort of commentary. When did the, uh, the songwriting journey begin? Um, again, like that, that, the halcyon days of, 2006 to 2008, somewhere in there, because I was going to uh, writers' workshops, and so I was writing fiction, going to the workshops, and then we would hang out after, and I would sing, and um, and so other people would play guitar for you know, do you know this Patty Griffin song or this Gillian Welch song, and 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 uh, and then from there I wanted to start writing my own songs. So I guess it was you know. I started singing in 2006 or seven, and then I really started writing songs probably somewhere between 2008 and 2010, mm-hmm. I guess. And, um, which is, yeah, 12 years ago. But, um, the first song that I co-wrote was around 2012, 2013, I think maybe 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of started me on a more serious track, 
you know, because otherwise it was just me piddling around with my own songs. But to think about it in a bigger and more professional way came when um, Jonathan Dean asked asked me to uh, help him finish the song and things kind of took off from there. Have you been able to successfully quiet the critic to, to, to a large extent? I mean, because this, this stuff is, is really good as far as the songwriting. Your voice is stunning. And oh, I would imagine that so may much. be easier said than done, right? Yeah. No, I, I mean, she's still there, you know, but <laughs> I think I, I think I understand. I think I give myself more grace now that I'm older, I'm more aware. And I, and like I said, I know there's a place for criticism, but you just have to like get out of your way to even function, to even do it. And so because I know that I can kind of put her on pause and then bring her out when I need to. So I've got, I think I've gotten better about that and I think I can still get better about it. There's a beautiful song on this album called Carletta. And you mentioned in your, um, your notes on that song that this was uh, a very, uh, early offering from uh from your your songwriting mm-hmm. and that at the time you wrote it you could you could barely play the guitar no which, yeah which, which seems uh hard hard to believe for me that especially when that that chord in the uh in the in the chorus the hits. top of the chorus yeah it sounds <laughs> so intentional <laughs> yeah no it was not and thank you for talking about that one because that that one is special to me and and i and i think Dwayne, the producer Dwayne lundy will Lundy will still tell you that um, that that's his favorite. Um, yeah, it just kind of fell to me. I, I have, I mean, I've got the music theory of a seventh grade flute player, so it's not that I was so aware that that was a cool chord to go to. That's just a chord of of the few that I knew, and that's where the song wanted to go. And yeah, and I'm trying to remember if I wrote because there, when I started playing guitar, I was so anxious to write songs. And that's why I was learning guitar, just so I could facilitate that. And I couldn't do it. And I wasn't taking lessons. I was just teaching myself. But my fingers would always hit the strings, you know. And um, and so I put it on my lap. And so for maybe, I don't know, three years or four years, somewhere in there, I would play it on, like a dobro on my lap. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was trying to remember, did I write Carletta like that? And the the answer is maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I, other people have talked about that too, the way that the, the, the chord, the, the chord structure and the way that it goes in the chorus. And I really like, I don't know, that was a happy accident, really. I, I think it's a great example of, uh, you know, early on in that, that the taste talent gap, uh, you know, overcoming your technical uh, shortcomings by just knowing that something is right. And that's, there's something yeah. special about that moment. Yeah, for sure.
There's a couple times in um, in the album where the um, concept of religion comes up and the notion that you know God chooses to favor some over others and, and sort of a rejection of that in a couple places, uh-huh. um, which is something I th- think a lot about and and it's something that bothers me in kind of the mainstream uh, application, I guess, of Christianity. Um, is that is that something that um, you know, that theme of religion, we've touched on it with in several other interviews in, in several other ways. Is that something that kind of is a thread that goes through this album, these songs? Um, I actually haven't thought, I've, I've been mostly thinking about the promotion of the album since the album's been done. And so I haven't really looked at it in the way that you have to, to find any of the threads other than the ones that were pretty obvious to me when I put them together. So yeah, there is the, the ones that I'm thinking are, co- are um, all those days of drinking dust, when I say that um, my prayers don't go past the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really what a preacher used to say in the, at the church I went to. If you're not baptized, if you're not saved, your prayers don't go past the ceiling. And I just thought that was so sad and lonesome. You know, like I, yeah. I hated yeah. that concept, but it was a very concrete one, you know, like, I don't know. But then, um, yeah, and then don't give a damn, I say, I'm so tired of hearing the lucky say they're blessed. Did God shine on you and say, forget the rest? Um, So, yeah, there is that thread of religion, I guess. And and I guess that's kind of inherent to, you know, growing up where I did. I I don't know. Religion still has a stronghold there for sure. Um, But, yeah, I don't don't know that any of that is intentional. It just kind of came out. As, as it needed to in the context of like the, the vocation of mining where you think about life and death and you think about, you know, literally going underground, you know, to the, to a different realm. And, uh, I don't know. That's, I think that's, that's an interesting thing to think about. And as somebody who is a student of literature, I, I would like, to, I mean, I don't want to like, is that like extreme navel gazing or something? I don't want to analyze my own stuff, but maybe Brian, maybe you could like tease out okay. the threads and then tell me what you think. And I'm sure it'll be better than I'll, anything I'll I could come up with. It. Yeah, I'll okay. write a paper on it. Okay. Tell me which conference you're presenting at and all. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's another moment uh, in uh, all those days of drinking dust when you talk about uh, hearing about a, a mind collapse on the news and not knowing whether to appeal to the one above or maybe the one below is the one who has jurisdiction in that area. Mm-hmm. It's another really, uh, I mean, t- to me, very compelling um, moment in, in the song. And yeah, Brian and I have talked about um, you know religion a bit, and uh, with with other uh, other songwriters. And I I love to use that imagery, especially Old Testament stuff, because I think there's a power mm-hmm. to it, and there's something that's universal, even if you're not. Uh, you know, a, a practitioner of an organized religion. Yeah, well, it's more like it's more like mythological in in a sense. The the Old Testament. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it it has that feel to it. Yeah, um, but it's something that I'm uncomfortable with because I I grew up without uh, an organized faith in my life, even though I'm I'm very uh, fascinated by it. Yeah. And so for someone who's growing up in a place where religion is so much more a part of what holds a community together. It, it, it breathes a greater authenticity uh, when it's, when it's coming from somebody from Eastern Kentucky compared to, you know, upstate New York. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Sometimes I think you never know, like I, I, I'm sure religion has a stronghold in other places too. And it might be more of a, like so many things, it might be less of a geographical, like, you know, I don't know, like a rural, like a class divide or a rural urban mm-hmm. divide or I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that, and for me, like when I was little, we went to church on the frilly dress occasions, like Easter and Christmas, you know, we got to wear mm-hmm. nice little dresses and it was a little later that any of my family, immediate family got more serious about going to church, but it was always kind of in the air, I guess. Mm-hmm. And just kind of taken for granted, you know, but, um, but yeah, I think the, the, the line that you're referring to is kind of, it, it's kind of to like, you know, does the one above have jurisdiction where they go, which is underground under the mountain, or is there one below I should be talking to? Um, it's kind of this like, 
what do I do and helpless and, and who's in charge here? And just, yeah, I think the helplessness of it was, was kind of, because that really happened. Like my, my dad worked in the mines over the state line in Wise County, Virginia for years. And so the news outlet, when I guess it was summer because I was home and I guess I was like around 12, but it came on the news that there was a mine collapse or a roof fall cave in in uh, Wise, Virginia. They couldn't tell us what mine it was. So it could have been dad's, you know, so for, for about an hour, we were pretty terrified. So I remember that feeling of, you know, please God, let him be okay. I'll get saved, you know. Didn't know which God to pray to When the cave-in showed up on the evening news Does the one above have jurisdiction where they go Or is there one below I should be talking to My prayers don't go past the ceiling that's what the man at the church house tells me Unless I let him bury me and bring me back up dead I guess with mine and then God hears everything Do you, um, um... Uh, I know that the album has just come out and maybe hard to judge at this point. Uh, I, I always have this, this uh, demoralizing moment after I've, I've shared uh, music where I come to the realization that it's a very small minority of uh, the listenership who actually gets into the lyrics mm-hmm. and wants to understand what the intention was, or at least what the abstract intention was that they can, you know, kind of hang their own, their own thoughts on. Uh, yeah. Does that is that something? Because a lot of people are driven by by the melody and the rhythm and the the hook, and like only maybe years later they'll they'll dwell on the the words of a song they really like. Does that um, does that bother you like it bothers me as a songwriter that all that <laughs> all that lexophile <laughs> energy you put into something is, is wasted upon the majority of people? All for nothing. All for nothing. Um, no, I don't. I actually don't think it's all for nothing. I think even if they're not looking at it at the level like you might, like, like both of you, actually, you're talking about the lyrics now. And I'm like, yeah, they got into them, you know, because so often even, even news, you know, your, your reviewers or your people who are talking about you in the, in the media, they'll get your lyrics wrong. And you're like, man, thank you for all the nice stuff you said, but that's not what I said, you know? So, (laughs) um, but it's happened many times, but, um, but yeah, I think even if you are a more casual listener, that's okay. You're going to get the benefit of the well-wrought song mm. on every level. And also, if you choose later or if you choose because of the type of person you are to dig into the, li- the lyrics, it's just going to keep on giving. So I think that's why it has to work, you know, melodically and then structurally, whatever. You know, it, ha- it all has to come together and work. And I think people intuitively know if it does or doesn't. But, um, but yeah, I th- they get the benefit of, of, of the effort you put in. And then if they really want to dig around and get even more from it. So they're just missing out if they don't is the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep doing it. And and some people, will, some people will dig around in it like you want them to. And others who aren't doing it, they, they could always do it. It's there. Yeah. And they can enjoy it for their own reasons. And that's good too. One of the other tunes that I, I, uh, I, I got into, uh, for both uh, the melody and lyrics is a harder heart. Brian knows this is, this is my favorite one on the album. And it is, oh, yeah. it is, it is at once, you know, just, just, uh, a gorgeous experience to listen to, but just crushing the sentiment that, that, that you, you <laughs> in this song. No, I love that. I feel like we're kindred or something because, um, that's my favorite too, probably. I mean, I hate to say that, but I, I think sonically, if nothing else, like just the way it turned out through production, it's my favorite to listen to. And it's hard to listen to yourself anyway, but that one I enjoy just because I don't know. I don't, yeah. But, um, yeah, that one I wrote during COVID and that one was the first or second song I ever finger picked on 
um, cause I told myself to finger pick over COVID. And, uh, so yeah, that one, the, and, and again, because I'm a word person, um, sometimes I'll get these words or phrases that I just feel like just, just come in a, in a chunk sometimes. But, um, so I remember I woke up one morning and I said, and I was going through this deal with this gentleman and I kept, you know, giving in anytime he would come back and I wouldn't stand my ground and be like, nope, I'm not speaking to you again. So I, I said to myself, I wish I had a harder heart. And then I wrote the song. So, and I've done that other times too, where I'll get just a phrase or something and then I'll kind of just run with it. Tell myself our cause is lost But every line I've drawn I've crossed Your easy words still make a spark Oh, I wish I had listening to that song today and I, usually I listen to albums in order because I assume that the artist has a, a, a reason for a certain sequence mm-hmm. of, of songs but for whatever reason my my uh, my phone was stuck on shuffle uh, and so <laughs> one, I got to the end of Hard Hard Heart I was like man like that was the she was just in a really dark place right there and I and I and I I hope that I, she didn't actually do it. She didn't actually, you know, slam that door shut and cut herself off. And then the waiting came up next. I was like, oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> no, she's okay. <laughs> she's, she's all right. She's all right. No. And sometimes I think the music sounds a little darker. Like sometimes I have to reassure my audience is like, I'm, I'm okay. Like this is cathartic <laughs> for me. This is not indicative of like my, my current state. Like I'm really right. I'm pretty low hearted most of the time, but it, but I do tend to go there. When, yeah, when I'm writing songs. And I do tend to, you know, we can all go there anyway, but it, you kind of get to explore it a little more with songs. Do you remember where The Waiting came from? The Waiting. Um, <laughs> goodness. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I was in my office physically. That's where it came from, in my in my house in Nashville. And I, I had... I, you're you're making me dig deep here. I don't know about this. I'll, we'll go there though. But um, okay. I remember. You can always cut I, it out later. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but um, yeah, if I get too vulnerable, then maybe we should. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So I, with with the waiting, I was in this kind of in between period where I there was somebody that I was interested in, but I wasn't really. You know, it was kind of like there wasn't really anybody in my life that I really cared for. And so I remember saying to myself, this is a love song to nobody or to a future person. Like it felt almost like I was writing it to like, I I transported myself to the future where I had somebody that I truly cared about because I didn't at the time, but I wanted to. And so I think that was kind of my, I don't know my what what do you call it a sirens call or something like to mm. to beckon a, the an invitation yeah. <laughs> an invitation yeah but it it really felt like because it felt like it came from a genuine place even though it wasn't about anybody but it felt like it was about the person that I wanted to end up with um, who I didn't know yet. Mm. What a miracle 
not knowing where hell all turns out So we wait here Will you wait with me? Will you come be by my side? I love you like the mountains love the Like a morning fog And it's gone Still the days drag on We could spend The endless hours sitting close Maybe we won't Mind the waiting favorite uh tune from the album was no bottom which yeah. uh, which Aaron and i agreed has one of the best first lines of, of any song <laughs> ever which is, if i had it to do different i'd have pissed more people off yeah it's true and, uh, but but also just the melody is just gorgeous the the, the phrasing the way you end lines um <clears throat> it just that that one captivated me Thank you. Um, that one I wrote, I think I wrote it around 2016. When I wrote that song, it felt special. Like it, it felt like, you know how, like if you're teaching yourself guitar, or if you're doing any sort of thing, sometimes you'll have these little breakthroughs and you can't even, you can't really mm-hmm. account, account for them and you can't, yeah. you know, make them happen any sooner than they're going to happen. <laughs> but when I wrote that song, I was like, this is the kind of song I want to write. You know, like that's when I felt like, yeah, this now I'm doing what I want to do, you know, and there and that's not to dismiss anything I wrote before that. But at that point, I was like, yeah, this this right here, let's do more of this. If I had to do different. I'd have pissed more people off Not worried about the cost of indiscretion Not give a damn who I lost I demand exactly what I deserve Instead of taking what's given to me I'd walk away from you the minute I saw you Instead of laying prostrate at your feet What they don't tell you Is it don't matter what you do You can play by all the rules and still Stays the same So live it how you want While you can Cause there's no bottom To anything You are uh, You have a, a wonderful uh, Sense of, uh, of wordsmithing And, and uh, putting together uh, uh, Phrases but you also have a, a magnificent uh, vessel for uh, delivering this that uh, I, I find both Brian and I find it uh, 
extremely hard to believe that you ever had any doubts in your, <laughs> your vocal capabilities. <laughs> I told you really that critic hard. is strong. My friend in East Tennessee, I saw him this weekend because I was up in Middlesbrough, Kentucky doing a gig. And he reminded me, he said, I'll never forget that first time you sang in front of people. You you said you thought you were going to have a heart attack. <laughs> and I did. I, my chest felt tight. And I was like, oh, Jesus, what have I done? But um, but yeah, I would always, like I sang a little in choir and I sang a little in church, you know. But I never thought I was any good until I guess undergrad and people would like look at me funny or, you know, and you hold those moments because it, it's like it feels special or important. I don't know. But um, and then, you know, I got a solo in chamber choir and you have to try out and make chamber choir anyway. So that was like, oh, this is, you know, I can do this because I never wanted to do any of this until I knew I could. You know, it, it like it, the chicken egg thing, whichever one you think is supposed to come first, it was the reverse, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I even even though I knew like, oh, I guess people don't hate when I sing in college, <laughs> I never really planned on doing anything with it because I was so practical, you know, because that critic was all consuming and she was like, you're not going to do something dumb like sing or write fiction. You're going to help people in some other way. And so in some really practical, tangible way, which now, you know, you say that and, and of course songs help people. And of course, you know, literature helps people. And I know that now, but man, it took me a while, but, um, but yeah, like I think, and nobody in my family sang my mamaw did a little bit just kind of casually. So it, there was never, I don't know any scaffolding for me to, or any reason for me to think that I could sing or, you know, I don't know, but, um, yeah. And then, and then even, even though I got good feedback, I would still doubt myself because, you know, you can't trust those people. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I think part of the, me coming into singing too was like in Nashville, they want you to sing at rounds. And so if you want to share your songs and you do, then you're going to have to learn to sing them or get somebody else who's enthusiastic about them to sing them. And, and it was just me. So, um, so yeah, it's, and I don't mean to sound, I'm not trying to like minimize anything. I'm so grateful that I can sing and I'm grateful that anybody enjoys it. And I enjoy it. I enjoy getting to be, be that. I don't like to listen to it, but I I get (laughs) like being on the, 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 like being the conduit, being the, being the music, you know, like I love that. And, um, so I'm not trying to like, you know, it's not false modesty or anything. It was just, that's how mean I was to myself, you know, (laughs) not to get into a therapy session, but that's, that's the truth. No, let's go. Let's go. No, 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 no. I I think, I mean, I, in, in all honesty, I think that, uh, that insecurity is, is way, uh, uh, underrated as a yeah. uh, um, as a motivating uh, spirit and in, in, in individuals, particularly artists. I, uh, the, one of my favorite singers is is Lyle Lovett, and mm-hmm. I think you share something with with his uh, his particular delivery, which most of the time is extremely understated and almost delicate sounding. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize that his voice has power until he unleashes it, which he does in an extremely rare and restrained fashion. And yeah. I thought the same way listening to this album, I was like, wow, her voice is capable of real power, but she mm-hmm. uses it extremely sparingly. Well, I think too, and, and I think I want to learn to use it more because I do feel like I'm still in the early stages of figuring out how I want to use my voice, you know? And, um, and so I think like there's, there's a couple of Patty Griffin songs that I can really belt on that, mm-hmm. that feel good when I, in my voice. And so I think I've, I've not been very intentional about it, but I've thought maybe I should try to push more vocally and see, and see what happens and, and like to more fully realize the, the full scope of my voice through my own songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, there's that, but then there's also, like you say with Love Lovett, like the fact that he is so understated. So most of the time, then those punctuated times where he's, you know, really pushing maybe mean more. So I don't know, but I, I I think that I I do think that there's so much more I want to do 
with my songwriting and with my voice that, um, and I'm not sure exactly what it is yet, but I do want to kind of explore both and, and figure out where the end of each one is, you know, and, you know, you don't know that you're bad at something until you try it and, and figure out, you know, <laughs> so I think maybe you can also figure out the, the endpoints of your, of your abilities too. And so I want to keep pushing and see where they are and see, see what sorts of things I can make in the meantime. Hmm. Is the writing of songs and the writing of fiction all kind of one thing for you, different sides of the same coin, or um, have you, have you moved on from one to the other? How do you look at that? Um, I, they're not the same thing for me. They're all like, I love that everything that I'd love to do is, is the thread through that is words, language. Um, so in that way, they're similar. And I think they also feed each other. The fact that I'm writing songs still works a muscle that I use when I write fiction. But I'm kind of at the point, too, in my um, in my career where I feel like, I don't know, like I don't want to neglect fiction much longer. And I don't know what that means for me as far as my whole journey goes because I don't want to stop writing songs either. But, so you know, I get ideas for both still. And I'll, I'll keep them in my notes. And But the songs have really, just because the momentum has been there, they've really eclipsed the fiction. And I don't want that to always be the case. And so I'm like one of my internal dilemmas right now is like, you know, I have a limited, I work a full-time job still. So I have a limited uh, amount of resources in the form of time and attention. And, you know, so do sure. I... I don't want to neglect the fiction much longer, but I have been neglecting it, you know, just because... I don't know. Um, like I said, I'll get, I'll still get lines and stuff and I still have ideas, but it's just a different thing and it's not any better or worse. And when I've been asked to compare them in the past, I've talked about how with songwriting, you have so many different planes that, that are working together. And so you've got, you know, with the song, you've got the tempo and you've got the melody and you've got the way that you inflect even a single word and you've got the, um, the key that it's in and, you know, the chord progression, all of that works together to create meaning in addition to the words. And you can be, and I think I am more of a lyrical writer, you know, um, I always have said that I'm not so great at the story. I need to get better at story, but with like the sentence level stuff is what I love and I can do better than, than to tell a whole story. But, um, but there's, I miss fiction writing. It's different and I miss doing it. And I don't, it's not the same thing. And I want to do both. And I'm, I think I'm going to have to figure out how to do both. Which is the stronger itch, the uh, the the unfinished short story or the unfinished song? Probably the. I mean, none of them itch too bad. I leave them sitting for a long time. <laughs> I can, I can have, I so many unfinished songs, I'd be itching myself to death if I worried about those things. No, um, I think it's it's with the songs. It's it's more immediate. Um, I think actually to mention Silas House again, I think he's the one who would always say it takes me as long to write a short story as it does a novel because it's so compact, so compressed, and it still needs to do a lot, you know, and you you just have more room to explore your characters and stuff. And every every single word has to count in a short story just like it does in a song. But I think with a song, there's, there's more immediacy with it. So there's a bigger payoff if you can finish a song especially since that's where my momentum is, you know, I can share it with other songwriters. I can, you know, and it takes what five minutes tops to listen to a song versus like, Hey, will you sit down with this long short story that I just wrote and uh, (laughs) tell me what you think about the characters and the plot. And it's, it just, it's more time consuming and it's, you know, it's not as shareable. And I don't know that that's necessarily the motivate, the motivation for finishing one over the other. It's, it's harder to finish a short story, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know if if that answers your question at all, but um, but yeah, I think if I had an unfinished song, I would say okay, that I could do that in a, in a, in a sitting, whereas a short story might take, you know, three more revisions to even feel like it's close to being done. Yeah. 
and you yeah. can revise songs a lot too but um oh i do yeah you do <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, i've been thinking yeah, about yeah. short stories a lot i i uh i just read uh um a swim in a pond in the rain by uh, george saunders okay uh, which is yeah. basically his his musings on writing short stories through the uh lens of looking at a bunch of uh Russian short story writers, and he keeps. Somebody talking about was this. talking about that book the other day. I've not read it, but it's great. Think, yeah, okay, it's great. Um, but it talks about like uh, like the the uh, the primacy of, of efficiency in a short story. Mm-hmm. Every every sentence has to have has to contribute to the uh, to the idea, to the plot, to the character development. There's there's nothing mm-hmm. can be can be extra, right? And, and it's the same talks, with songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just uh, talking about the, the power of revision and not to be afraid of revision, uh, mm-hmm. and and doing the uh, the nth version of that uh, of that verse. I guess that's what that's the time for the critic to, to make her entrance again. Uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Come an on in, honey. Again. We've been waiting on you. <laughs> <laughs> we knew you were ready, sitting at the ready. <laughs> oh, this has been great. Uh, yeah, really good, it's been great talking talk to y'all. Yeah, and I think like thank you for being so thoughtful about like listening to the songs and really like like almost like a literary criticism of the of the lyric. Like that's really special, especially when you put um, when you put your heart into it and when you're on on your end, you're really intentional about it. It's it's so great when you get people who are listening and who are really thinking about what you've done and and. Yeah, so I, I appreciate you all. Thank you for listening. Craft Brood Music, both the podcast and the Music Discovery app, has the mission of promoting this music and these artists. We can't do that without ears on the music. So if you like what you've heard here, we're going to ask you two small favors. First, tell someone about the podcast. Second, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craft Brood Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the curated streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbrewedmusic.com. Thanks again and see you next time.